When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame, no more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. It's a bit of a special one today as we are joined by Izzy and Angela. And Angela is Izzy's mum and we're going to have a chat about what it's like to experience this from as, as a mum. So thank you so much guys for joining us. I know it's been a, a long time in the, in the planning. So I'm so pleased that we were able to get, mm. get here and uh, get recording. Thank you for having us. Lovely to be here. We were saying just before you came on Bex that we tried to organize a, um, a, a mum's recording before, didn't we? Do you remember when we, we asked our mums if we could rope them into doing it? And I think, at first, my mum was like, yeah, that's brilliant. And your mum's was like, oh, I, I'm not I'm not really sure. And then the tables turned and your mum was up for it and my mum wasn't. And we just never ended yeah. up doing it. But we know that it's a really important topic and we've wanted to cover it for um, for some time. Um, so, yeah, here we are. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. It's, I think it's, it's great that we're doing it just before Mother's Day as well, because um, that's when we wanted to do it last year, wasn't it, with our mum. So we wanted to do a Mother's Day special. So this year, we actually can with different mums. So maybe you could start, Izzy, by just telling us a bit about your experience. Yeah, sure. So actually, it's exactly a year since I um, experienced my first loss. So um my husband and I, we first started trying to conceive in the February, um, shortly after we got married. And mm-hmm. thankfully for us, it happened really quickly, got pregnant almost straight away. Um, and I, I think going into any first pregnancy, it's, you don't know what to expect at all. Um, and my kind of disillusioned fantasy of what it was going to be like was this lovely surprise for my mum and my dad and that we'd keep it a secret until 12 weeks and then we'd let them know and it would be like you see on mm. Instagram where everyone's surprised. But sadly, that just wasn't my reality. Um, sorry if I get emotional. <laughs> um, I had a miscarriage at no six weeks. Um, so... That what should have been like, you know, that really exciting phone call to your mum to say I'm pregnant or, you know, showing them a scan was me calling mum. And we, I didn't live in Manchester at the time. I was living in London. So I had to call her and say, mum, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but I'm having a miscarriage, which was sad. <laughs> um, so that was that was March last year. And then um, I think like most women who have a miscarriage initially it's you know all of the sadness the disappointment the anger everything that you girls talk about so much um but then after that kind of dust settled I was kind of a bit like all right well I'm one in four I've I've, I've, I've experienced this surely it won't happen to me again um 
and with the very kind words of my um, GP, I was strongly encouraged to just try again as soon as possible. You know, I was given the all clear. They said, go again. You're very young. You're clearly very fertile. The chance of this happening again are very, very low. And then my second pregnancy was ectopic. Um, and again, I, I, I kept it a secret from mum because I wanted that pregnancy to be successful. And it wasn't. It, it ended horrifically. Um, from figuring out that, you know, everything was not really going to plan to actually being diagnosed with an ectopic pregnancy took well over a week. By that point, it had ruptured and I needed emergency surgery. Um, and that was in June. Then I took a little bit of a break, needed to do a bit of healing and got pregnant again in September, um, which was actually a really strange time because during that time, my husband and I were leaving London and um, I moved back home. <laughs> my husband and I are currently living with my mum and dad whilst we um, wait for our for our home to be um, ready. So I was living at home whilst pregnant with my third pregnancy. Um and because of the kind of stress and anxiety, um, I told mum straight away, mum, I'm pregnant, which you were mm. thrilled about because I was in the house with her. Yeah. And I think I think she thought, right, I can look after her. This is fine. And sadly, it, it didn't work out. And I had a, I had a mis- miscarriage at nine weeks. Um, and that was November. And here we are, three pregnancies later. No, no babies or grandchildren just yet. Not yet. Not yet. No. So just a very hard time. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Angela, for, for you, what was it like to get that first phone call? That Did you know that Izzy and her husband were trying for a baby or is it all sort of out the yeah. blue? How did you get your head around that? <laughs> oh, that was just, well, um, Izzy, they just got married. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you, you like to think that's what's going to happen, but you've no idea when. And I'm not a very... Um, I'd, I wouldn't dream of intruding on any of my children. So uh, it's private, you know. So when she, when the phone call came through, I was absolutely overjoyed. No worry, no fear at that time. She's a strong, healthy girl, you know, living a life with a husband in London. Everything was fine. Uh, and why would you ex- think otherwise? Why would you imagine the worst when, when everything ahead, you imagine, is going to be lovely and normal and healthy and a viable pregnancy and everything else and then the shock uh, of hearing. But then the first miscarriage, um, because I'm much older and because I've been through all this, and you know that, you know, some, some women unfortunately do have a miscarriage early on. So we just all brushed ourselves down. I brushed myself down. I was able to support Izzy and just say sometimes some, you know, these things happen. We never know why all that, um, and then to happen again when under horrible circumstances and ending up being an emergency, and me being here and Izzy being in London um, was just awful. And then having getting Izzy home and being here in the house with me, she's quite right. I did think that because I was here and I could look after her, it would make a difference, but it just didn't, and it happened again. And the feeling of absolute desperation and then trying to sort of hide, hide the grief yourself because, as, as I said in my email, I'd been through a horrendous loss, my first baby, um, many, many years ago, and then went on to have three wonderful, healthy, gorgeous pregnancies. It was the only reassurance I could give her, but actually um, empathy 
when you're going through each everybody has a different story don't they so so even as close as we are and we are very very close I didn't want to bombard Izzy with my story because this is not about my story this was about her story so although I knew the pain I didn't because I hadn't gone through this this hope three times and I hadn't had had to have emergency surgery and I hadn't sort of been a little bit fogged off and sort of said oh well it's quite normal because GPs will do that and that's what happened with her you know she was told over and over again we'll run the test we'll do the blood test you everything is healthy and normal go away and try again and that takes a mm. tremendous amount of mental courage to keep doing that and fear is now the biggest emotion now and will be the biggest emotion uh, going forward with with future pregnancies for her overriding the joy the joy will come at the end and we know that and that's that's just so very very sad so yes it's been been a very tricky year but we're we're alive and well aren't we we've just i've just had a birthday this is 30 tomorrow so we're <laughs> bloody well going to celebrate <laughs> oh amazing yeah oh gosh happy birthday for tomorrow thank you <laughs> Yeah, Angela, I think what what you're saying um, about fear being the overriding emotion moving forward, I think that's what um, my mum really struggled with. Each time she was like, "I don't know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to what to do for you. Well, how am I how how am I meant to be? Do you want me to bring it up? Do you want me to not bring it up?" And yeah. um, of course. I mean, I didn't really know myself and it depended on how I was feeling at the time and whether I'd had a scan or whether I had symptoms, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, but it sounds like you two have a really close relationship. So, mm -hmm. I mean, keeping those that lines of communication open. Um, yes. And also, I think giving each other space to, to deal with those emotions and, and let them be um yeah rather than trying to sort of plaster over them and um and uh, you know make good of a of a bad situation sometimes yeah. you just have to let let those emotions be oh it sounds incredibly tough i had never really like truly understood or empathized mum's loss until i'd gone through this because mum's loss was obviously before I even existed and I was only ever told about it I think really when I was maybe an older child teenager mum mentioned it to us that there was a baby before you um but until I'd gone through this and you started to tell me more about that experience and what had happened to you and how you felt afterwards actually it helped I think it helped us bond a lot in, yeah. in this process like yeah. both of us recognized the sheer loneliness and how isolated you feel after a pregnancy loss and how you're kind of locked inside dealing with these horrendous emotions, grief, anger, disappointment, jealousy, but the rest of the world just carries on. Mm. And, and you said the same with, mm. when you had your loss, that mm. it's almost infuriating. It's like, it's, it's frustrating that the rest of the world, everyone that you know and love is just going about their day-to-day -day life. Mm. Yeah, I'm stuck in this horrendous pain. Mm. It's awful, and mm. I think it was in a very strange way nice that we could talk about talk it. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that also, um, I think you've got to as a mum. It's so important to listen to your daughter. Uh, unfortunately, we are so close that Izzy can say to me, "If I'm talking, 
and wanting to know and to check in, Izzy can say to me, and I respect that, not now, mum, not now. And I know mm. that's, that's stop, nerve, <laughs> you know, and I, and I can, and I know that. And that's, that's the most important thing because you're just so wrapped up in, in, in wanting to make everything better and you can't. And I think also, and Izzy has also mm. um, articulated this uh, to me and it, and tapped into memories of, Oh, I think it's 38 years ago now, which is still very raw. Anniversary is coming up, but it's still there. It doesn't go away. Um, that you, it's the first time and the only time in your life when you, you are mentally and physically unable to stop your body doing what it's doing. Mm. You're not in charge. Mm. So mm. your body is going into uh, early labor or whatever it's going into and you, you cannot uh, go and have a good bowl of, of, of green veg and, and chicken soup and it'll all be better or mm. go and have a good walk. Or, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, my two boys are big rugby playing boys, injury after injury after injury. I'm very practical and food and fresh air have always been the answer to me for everything. And this is that's just not the case. It's, mm. it's, it, you can't stop it and it's, it's and you can't stop your daughter and you can't stop the pain and you can't stop the grief and you can't. And there is no answer, and you can send her to see a wonderful consultant who somebody's recommended you to, but he doesn't have the answers. And there doesn't seem to be, and there is, doesn't seem to be a pathway. And still in this day, 35 years on, there is no pathway. And I'm so very proud of Izzy because she's creating her own pathway and, and doing all her own research. And that's because she's able to. But there are many, many young young women out there and young girls out there who must feel so very, very lost mm. and are being fobbed mm. off and don't know and don't know how and and there are and perhaps just have to then resign themselves rather like I had to do thirty five years ago. There are no answers. And I just accepted as a young mm. woman, but but thirty five years on you you want to know, okay, maybe no answers, but what do I do? And the answer really is still, mm. I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to be resilient and get on with it, mm. you know, and, and that is very much the case. Yeah. So it's it's just it's just very hard. So mm. but we're all right, aren't we? I think you're you're absolutely right, Angela, in that there is sometimes there are no answers. But I also think that the process of looking for answers can be quite helpful because doing something mm. is better than doing nothing. And I think exactly yes. as you said about yes. Izzy, you know, she's carving her own pathway. And that's what we're trying to do with the worst girl yeah. gang ever is, is create that path or, or light that pathway for people. So it's easier to find. Mm-hmm. Because I think that in yes. doing yeah. stuff for yourself and in ex- the exploration of therapy and being outdoors, you know, you said yourself, like for your sons and, and, and obviously Izzy when she was growing up as well, like your recommendations is like chicken broth and outdoors weather. Like that's so, that, but that is a healing something in itself. And it's not necessarily that the ingredients yeah. of that or the, or the weather or the, the sunshine on your face is, is, is the recipe for, for recovery. But actually doing those things, it's the, sometimes the process of doing those things, which makes us feel looked after, yeah. makes us feel like that we're doing something yeah. for ourselves. And that kind of, yeah, that self-care regime, if you like, is so incredibly mm. valuable in the building blocks of, of recovery. Mm. And I think that that's where these women are getting lost because they don't know that that's in their power. They don't know that they can 
explore mm. all there is to explore quite easily. You know, it's mm. not all about going to the doctor and being told by a professional that this is going to happen again. That's not going to happen again. You need this, that and the other. It's about mm. getting outside and it's about doing art, if you like art. And it's about creating something yeah. in the garden. And it, it, it really is about spending time with people that understand. And, and that is the therapy that often we don't know that we need and we don't realize that we need until we start participating mm. it, it, in it. So yeah, I think no. brilliant for you, Izzy, that you're that you're uh, and amazing, Angela, that you're able to see that and support Izzy in that, and and so amazing that you're able to take it on the chin when she says "Not now, Mum," because we speak to women <laughs> all the time who don't have that. Yeah, when she says that, let me tell you, sometimes there's a sneaky little two fingers that go at the back of her head. <laughs> 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 well that's fair enough yeah that's fair enough yeah we hear some real horror stories about about parents and mother-in-laws and people who are um just really sort of pushy and persistent and oh, it's no. just not not needed at that time no, Angela no, no. I wanted to ask you, are you would you like to share a bit more about your story the story about of, of your loss we yeah. we're intrigued to know um how times have changed and um i know that bex when you first set up the facebook group back shortly after your miscarriage you had lots of people contact you who were in their 50s 60s and beyond saying that they'd never spoken about these experiences before so yeah. we always wanted to have someone on to talk about what it was like back then yeah yes i'm very happy to talk about it it's and it, and strangely um, it's, you know, excuse me if I do suddenly start to cry because it's still very, very, very painful. And like Izzy, it was it was my first pregnancy and I got pregnant very quickly. Um, so that was wonderful. And I was, you know, all the sy sy symptoms were there. I was very, very sick. Um, and I... It was coming. It was this time exactly because it was coming up to sort of my birthday and my sister's birthday. And we were all going out for lunch, and I was about sixteen weeks pregnant. And because your first pregnancy, you don't know oh, what's this. What should I be feeling? This you're not. You're very unsure. I wasn't nervous at all, but I anyway, went out for lunch and went to the toilet at the golf club. And back at that time, my father was uh, alive and well. He was with me and my husband. And I, my waters broke and I um, didn't know what, wasn't, didn't know what was happening, but thought I needed to just alert somebody. So we, we came home, we rang the hospital, the local hospital where I was booked in and they said, you need to come in. And of course, then I never came home. Um, so they put me on bed rest and that was 16 weeks Six weeks, I think I was, on absolute flat bed rest. I couldn't get up to go to the loo. I had a bedpan. Um, they did everything possible to um, keep the pregnancy for me because, obviously, you know, that's, that's the end mm. goal. I was locked out. I was in a, in a side room, so I was away from all the other pregnant mums, but that was very difficult because I, I'd see them pottering about. And the populace, many of them became friends because I was there for so long. That's was probably longer than six weeks, I can't remember. Yeah. It, was it was eight, eight weeks. weeks, it was yeah. eight weeks. So it was a dreadful time because the day were very, was very monotonous. Um, I had a little calendar and I used to cross off cross off the days as the, as the time was passing. 
Um, I got to know all the nursing staff. They, they were very friendly. Once a week, I'd be wheeled down for a scan to see if the baby was growing. Um, baby was still alive, but hardly growing. I had a consultant who was um, a wonderful, wonderful gentleman who was a staunch co- uh, Roman Catholic and didn't believe in... Um, he believed, he was pro-life, obviously, and, and wanted this pregnancy to become viable. So all sorts of things were put in place that get me to... to uh, I think to, wanted to get me to 26 weeks. Then I'd be sent off to the St Mary's Hospital where they had... Uh, early delivery um, uh, centre there and what have you, and I'd be looked after, the baby would be born. All the time I was being told baby's lungs, lungs might not be developed, baby might not, might not be well. Uh, it, was, it was a very, very frightening time, and I required mum, my mum and my dad and my husband to sit with me all day, every day, because I, I was terrified. Um, and obviously not being mm. able to get up, that wasn't great for the baby. Um, and then, of course, at the end of that time, at 24 weeks, I went into early labour and uh, nothing was going to stop it. And they tried to give me all sorts to stop it and mm. it wasn't going to happen. And I didn't know what was happening. And then I was told, I'm sorry, baby's going to come and you know, you've know, you got to go down to delivery suite. Uh, so I was in labour for a day still didn't know really what was happening. I was well out of it. I was on morphine, I was on everything. And at the end, I can just remember screaming and saying, just just knock me out, knock me out, knock me out. I didn't, because I knew I was going to be delivering a dead baby. And and that's what happened. And and then afterwards, see now you'd, you'd, you'd be armed with more information because then I just wanted to get home and just lock mm. myself away and never see another person and never go put into another hospital ever again. A lovely nurse yeah, did come to me and said to me, you had a little girl and would you like to see her before we take her away? Well, I was so frightened because I had no, I didn't know what, what to expect to see. So, of course, I said no. And then years later, I've always thought about it and thought I probably owed it to her to see her, but... I was ter- just terrified. Um, and on the, so that, I can remember it was a Saturday night and then on the Sunday, because I'm Jewish and because making you better is food, my wonderful father arrived with a great big Friday night chicken dinner in the hospital <laughs> because he didn't know what else to do. Nobody <laughs> knew what else to do with me. No. And I know, and then he, I was told that I could come home. And then again, Nobody'd come to me and said, "You will find that you will your body will still think it's it's pregnant, so your milk will come in." Health visitor came. There'd been a cock up with notes, so health visitor thought that she was coming to see me with a baby. Um, I remember oh, coming God. to the door, and there was milk leaking, leaking, leaking because I didn't have I had no breast pads. I didn't know that was going to happen, um, so it was all very very difficult. Um, and then I got a letter from um, our local um, cemetery to say, did we want a burial for the baby? And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand that because then I didn't, then I hadn't, I didn't know where the baby was, and I didn't. It was all terribly confusing, and and it was just not that. I feel now there would be more um, care and 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 nurturing given at that point. Basically, I just wanted to get out of the hospital and I was allowed to just come home with nothing. You know, I didn't, it was nothing, no, no notes, nothing for me to read. 
and I was told to come back for a post-pregnancy checkup, which I did. But of course, that was horrendous because I was in the still in the maternity unit with everybody sitting there with babies, and then I was there. And why was I there? Because I didn't have a baby. Um, so it was all very um, clumsy. I think is the word I'd use to describe it: mm. clumsy and clunky. And nobody knew so what to do with me. Um, so it was sort of very much um, in the back room, you know, come through this door if you don't want to see this person. And um, and then after that, um, I questioned an awful lot. Um, and I questioned the ethics of, um, particularly once I got pregnant again, which, which was very quickly after, and then I was very, very terrified, um, I went to see a different consultant and he told me there and then that if I'd been with him at the point of my waters breaking, knowing that at 16 weeks the pregnancy would, would most definitely not be viable, uh, he would have just told me to go home and expect a miscarriage. And of course, that would be very frightening, your first mm. baby. But having gone through eight weeks of hope, mm. that was really very psychologically terribly distressing mm. um and yeah just and of course the, the mirroring here that was also my first year of marriage so it was almost when this was happening with Izzy this was like oh dear god not again and of course very very different end results very very different stories nobody ever got to the bottom of what happened to me and then I, I just went and had um the Sherrod Kasuchas put in for each pregnancy, uh, the stitch mm. I had a stitch put in, yeah, um, cervical stitch. and then after, I, well, yes, mm. and when I had the uh, my last baby, um, the consultant then said, "You do know that this doesn't prove anything, or or say, you know, it doesn't keep you from going into miscarriage. It can be more of a psychological thing, but surely that's better. Hanging on to anything is better than not being able to hang on to mm. nothing." And yeah, you just want the so. hope, you know, you want the hope. And I, and then for the certainly for my first pregnancy, I, I didn't leave the house for nine months. Um, if I did, I had an escort of parents with me <laughs> um, mm. because everybody was so very frightened. And I'll, I know I'll be the same with Izzy. Um, you know, you just want to wrap them up in cotton wool and yeah. just, just take care and stop anything untoward happening. Um, so... And that little that little girly, um, she is buried and she's got a little stone and we go, my husband and I go once a year, and that's it. And the rest of the time I don't dwell on it. But of course this has brought it all all back. Um mm. it's the pain and it's the pain that you don't want any other girl, woman, anybody to go through. Um and the only thing I could say to everybody out there, my daughter in particular, and she knows this you've got to dig deep and you've got to, if that's your end dream and goal, then really you've just got to have such resilience and understanding that each pregnancy is different. That's what you said to me in the yeah. last pregnancy, every single morning yeah. Yeah. I see her in the kitchen and she'd say, <laughs> different day, different pregnancy. <laughs> this is di different from the last one. It's all okay. Yeah different day yeah. and yeah yeah I think yeah. that's just what you have got to accept to nine weeks, didn't we and we mm. thought nine weeks was absolutely marvelous <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yeah. there we are so that's my story but I'm but then I'm you know 
And people said to me the most ridiculous things along the way. I had people who said to me, you can't carry, oh, you can't carry girls. That's what it is. You know, well, oh, yeah. what, why are you telling that me that? Not, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> that, what, what's that got to do with anything? But I very quickly realised, and, I, and, and I, I've said this to my daughter, try very hard not to listen too much. When you're so wrapped up in your own story, just concentrate mm. on yourself and do exactly what she is doing and what you've just agreed with, that, you know, nurturing, self-care, and just trying to sort of take a breath and, and just just block out the noise. Yeah, you know, just and, – and when you've got mm. the energy, you will listen to other people's stories. And, it, and it, at, you're right, it does help, and it does help to go and to hear about other people because there's, there's some comfort in, in understanding that it's not rare and it's not unusual – and it does happen, and other people get through it and do have lovely, lovely families, mm. you know. Um, yeah. What was the reaction of your friends and family when you lost your baby 35 years ago? Oh, well, in those days, so I already had friends who were pregnant or who had babies. So in those days, there was a lot of letter writing that went on. So I'd get sort of sheets You're not from sheets. the Victorian yes, days. I did, because I didn't want to answer the phone. I told my husband I didn't want to speak to anybody. So I remember getting getting letters. I didn't want my mother-in-law to come. I didn't want... I, I literally just shut myself down and just thought, right, I'm going to, you know, I don't want to see anybody. Um, and... With everything, it's it's time, isn't it, that that heals, helps heal a little bit. Um, so time moved on, and the season changed, and we we went into summer. We had a little holiday, and I still felt very worried about being amongst my friends who were eight nine months pregnant. Not a problem. Everything was fine. And that's difficult mm. because you don't want your friends to think in any shape or form there's a jealousy there. It's not a jealousy. It's a... It's I think it is a jealousy. Do you think it's a jealousy? I do. It's a perhaps an envy. I know, but to be jealous... I think we're allowed so to say it's jealousy. Yeah, I think so. Because I, so, yeah. I, know, I know you girls talk about the ugly feelings and it's okay to admit that you are jealous because you so desperately want something. Mm. It's a pining for something and... When you see something that you so desperately want just there in front of you that you can't have, that is jealousy, yeah. and, and it's horrible to admit because it's a horrible feeling. I know, I know. but it is jealousy. You see, this is very good. This is very, very uh, therapeutic for me because I've never, <laughs> I, I've never been able to say yes, yes, I felt jealous mm. because I just think that's a wrong thing a wrong emotion to have but actually you're right it I was you're allowed to feel jealous it. it doesn't make you a horrible no. person no 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 it's but you're right Angela they are horrible horrible emotions and some of them this is what we talk about what Izzy just said we talk about the ugly feelings because some of these feelings make you feel worse like you're in this deep dark grief because you've lost your baby and then you find yourself feeling things like jealous and Jealousy and anger and resentment and bitterness and self-pity and self-hatred. And then you just feel worse about yourself because mm -hmm. you don't, you, you sort of start to lose grip on who you are. And you think, gosh, how yeah. can this be me feeling these ways about my friends and family members and stuff? And, mm -hmm. and it's this whole 
unraveling of of your personality that you feel like you're just trying to grasp for bits of your who you were before back and I think so often mm-hmm. we can't actually get back to who we were because as we talked about right the right at the beginning of, of the recording like that that kind of ignorant joy is gone and 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 won't be back but it's just about yeah. making a better version of, yeah. of ourselves like well, can I ask Angela when you became pregnant with your with your second child your first child after your loss mm-hmm. I know you said that you didn't go outside, but uh, like mentally, how were you when, when I assume it was not Izzy, was it uh, Izzy's brother? Yes. No, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how were you when he was born? So I got pregnant quite quickly again. I decided once I'd done it and the pregnancy was fine and I delivered a very lovely, big, strong, healthy baby. That was just a massive uh, bonus um it was almost like you to prove to yourself you can do this mm-hmm. so i i had proved to myself i could do it so i got pregnant again quite quickly um and so there was a um just under two years gap between between all of them there's just under two years gap actually um and i think because i was so busy with my first son I allow, didn't allow myself to dwell, what if that would happen? What, you know, I just did not allow myself. I was still, the feeling was still there. The anxiety was most definitely still there, but I just, I just got on with it. And um, thankfully, um, again, I still had plenty of people around me um, and was checked up all the time. And because of the, pre, the first sort of lot of history, when I went to the hospital, um, they checked up and everything seemed to be going all right. And then when he was born again, just absolute relief. Did I have the joy of the pregnancy? I think I probably did because I'd because my body had done what I'd wanted it to do for number one. So I didn't allow myself to think, why would it be different? It wouldn't be because the body was prepared now and I could do it. And it's that it's that thing, isn't it, still, where you're still thinking that you're in charge of what's going to happen, even though Mother Nature sometimes is actually well in charge. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, I felt that I was in control and, and knowing that I had a plan. I think I think knowing I had a plan that I would, uh, I think it was about 16 weeks I would go and have the stitch put in. So I had all these hurdles to get through. And I was also on medication all the way through. So I can't remember the name of the drug, but they, I was on a drug that stopped me from going into, into contractions. Mm. Um, so I think that okay. and the stitch with the little bits of security uh, that I needed. Mm. Angela, I so. can relate so, so much to what you're saying. Um um, as I think many people know that I'm in, I'm pregnant at the moment and with my, my first pregnancy, successful pregnancy with Bertie, I was anxious the whole way through. And it was only when I held him in my arms that I believed that my body could do it. I had no, no yeah. belief in it and, until then. Mm. And this time, even having gone through more losses in between this time it feels very different 
not only a mm. do I have a three-year-old that keeps me occupied like you say with with mm. your your eldest son but mm. also I know my body can do it and although there's not you know full faith in my body I know that that there's some and that it can do what it's meant to do that doesn't take away any doubt or anxiety particularly in early mm. pregnancy for me because that's when mm. all my losses have been but um it's made this one so much easier to deal with and and mm. allowed me to enjoy it a little bit more whereas my first one yeah. I didn't enjoy it not in the slightest no no, no it's really interesting no. Yeah. yeah, the power of the mind, positive thinking and kind of have, finding that inner strength, I think, is, yeah, like you said, knowing that you can do it oh, is totally. really so important. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. like you say, with having a plan with the medication and the and the stitch, I think for, for me, wherever I've been in my journey, just having a plan, even mm. if it's, um, you know, trying a new medication or going to see a new specialist has has always sort of given me that that little bit of hope that I've previously felt mm. was was lacking um mm. but yeah it's uh it's difficult to go into a new pregnancy with nothing having changed so you're you're yeah. just sort mm. of you know going in blind again just hoping mm. that that it'll be all right this time that's really difficult to get your head around because you think what's the mm. chances of it being okay this time when it wasn't last time to have mm. to have a new a new plan or something to 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 grasp onto is um mm-hmm. is really powerful mm-hmm. no i was just going to say i think it's the control isn't it because you pregnancy mm-hmm. loss is is so out of your control there's really nothing you can do to to avoid it but having a plan whether that's i mean i had it in my last pregnancy i was told mm-hmm. okay you're going to take baby aspirin and we're going to give you progesterone um and that was dare I say really exciting for me because for me that was the hope Mm. that this pregnancy could be different and I was also told oh we'll get early scans which for me was so reassuring um I think I think I read this recently on Tommy's website that there is actually scientific evidence to suggest that women have successful pregnancies when they receive the right level of care and I think that is so true. And I don't just think that's in a medical sense. I think it's in a personal sense as well. Being able to offload your anxiety to someone that's maybe not even your husband or your partner. It's it's mm. just someone. And that might be a mother. It might be a sister, a best friend, someone that you can just wake up and say, do you know what? Today is not a good day. I'm riddled with anxiety. Is is really, really comforting and really needed. Um And I think I said this at the very start of the podcast. I think most women go into early pregnancy, especially if it's your first pregnancy, thinking that it needs to be this whole hush hush secret. You don't tell anyone. It's going to be this big grand surprise. And what I've learned is is that that holds such a huge burden. Like I know in my next pregnancy, I'm not going to be announcing it to the world but I'll be telling this one because I'll need her. Um, and I think the burden of keeping it a secret creates so much stress. Because, I mean, maybe similar to mm. you, Laura, I've always experienced bleeding in early pregnancy. Um, and it's unfortunately never been a good sign for me. But even just to be able to watch that mum and say, being to the toilet, mum, I'm feeling really nervous. This is what I've seen is just it's taking out of your bucket of anxiety and passing it on to someone else and it won't change the outcome but it does just help 
help you feeling a little bit mm. better. Mm. We did a recording of a podcast with Emma Cannon um, back a couple of series ago, and she talked about there being new evidence um, to show that fe- that being looked after um, and feeling like someone someone has your back and someone's fighting your corner for you, you know, mm-hmm. uh, can help improve the chances. And, and there's, there's science behind it because I like a bit of yeah. science, you see. So it's all to do with the stress and the free radicals and, you know, wow. all that, that jazz. But um, oh, it's a mate, really that interesting was, um, Hang on. With, with, that with... was so scientific, Laura. <laughs> it's all about the stress and I the know, free right? radicals <laughs> and, you know, and all that jazz. <laughs> You are basically a scientist. And all that, on all that, basically, <laughs> yes. Professor, Professor Laura Buckingham here. Professor Buckingham, <laughs> worth a listen. It. In fact, it's quite, it's quite a funny episode because it starts with a gong, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You <laughs> so, were well out of your comfort was, zone in that one. It was really cringy. We were both laughing and like, oh my <laughs> god, definitely go listen to it. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry you've been both been through such terrible experiences. And Angela, mm. I really hope that um, I've not experienced a loss that late myself. But from chatting to other women, I think th- things have changed, thankfully, mm. because that sounds absolutely horrendous, everything that you had to go through. And Izzy, where, um, where are you with your journey now? What's, um, what's your next plan? Yeah, well, part of my exciting plan is that I'm now under Tommy's, which is like, for me, the biggest win. Um, I've, I've seen so many consultants now. I've been under two different recurrent miscarriage clinics, all fine, nothing found, you're healthy, this is just bad luck, you know, the, the typical response. Just bad luck. Um, oh. Just bad luck. Um, but now I'm under Tommy's, um, under their clinic in Birmingham. So um, for now, it's all just been virtual consultations, blood tests. And I think, again, I know that you girls have spoken about this. In a weird, weird world, you really hope that something does crop up, that there is mm-hmm. some minor health things that can be fixed, a small blood clotting disorder. I'll take it, <laughs> um, which is really sad and really, really strange. Um, but that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm not, I'm not in a position right now where I have the courage to face another loss right now. Um, and it's such a, it's such a mixed emotion, isn't it? Because I could start trying again. The challenge with my situation is that I get pregnant really quickly. So I, what I really have to ask myself is, Izzy, are you ready to potentially face another loss? Mm. No. And I know that I know, no one ever is, right? No one suddenly wakes up and is like, yeah, I could I could tackle another miscarriage tomorrow. Um, that's not that's not the reality. But right now, I recognise that I have a lot of healing to do, and I just need to give myself some space for that. So I know it will happen. I know that. Sorry. <laughs> I know that I'll be a mum one day, um, yeah, but for now, I just need some space to just heal. That's so good that you recognise that and um, are taking the time mm. out. Yeah, yeah. And do you know what? I, I say this all the time to my husband. There's nothing I'm more certain of than the fact that we will be parents that's a guarantee we will be parents for some very unfair shitty reason our journey has just been significantly harder and I actually started therapy in December and my therapist said to me 
Izzy, what if you channel this sadness into thinking that this experience that you and your husband have gone through is actually just pe- preparing you for parenthood and that when you do become a mum and your your husband becomes a dad, my God, the two of you will be ready for it because you've been through it and mm. your, your, your skin is so thick and you're so resilient and you've got a strength that maybe many first-time parents don't have. And yeah, it's unfair, but you'll be so grateful and ready for that baby when it does arrive. So that's what I'm channeling. (laughs) My mantra when I was dealing with it all was the harder the struggle, the more glorious the triumph. And that's Mm, what I used to say to myself every day after every loss. Mm. I think a lot of people will be really, um, I think that that will really help a lot of people as well, Izzy, because being able to channel your grief into something positive is a way to heal um but it takes work doesn't it and it mm. sounds like you're doing loads of work on yourself and that's just brilliant um and you sounds like also you've got mm. a really good mum behind you helping you and carrying you when you don't have the strength to walk mm. anymore yeah and you're a beautiful I- crier as well I mean that's always a bonus <laughs> yeah, God, what's that about we're both ugly criers jealous <laughs> <laughs> honestly the amount i cry on these bloody podcasts i really need to pick up some tips <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us and angela for um for for agreeing to come on board and and tell us about your experience as well as your experience you know through through izzy it's um it's been really lovely to chat and izzy how are you finding the um the warriorship membership? Are you finding it helpful? I love it. <laughs> I really do. I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, really, really good. And and you know the one thing that really stands out to me about the community that you two have created is that it's just positive vibes. And I'm sure you'll know this, but there's lots of lot pregnancy loss communities out there. TikTok, Reddit. There's a, there's a few going around. Um, <laughs> there's always that rogue person in those communities that says something that's completely out of order and you never get that in your community it's such a positive safe space and yeah I just think it's wonderful what you're doing when I first stumbled across you last March I was just like wow I never I never knew I'd need anything like this but here I am part of this gang of girls mm. who are going through a really shit experience and everyone is so kind oh. Well, okie dokie. It's been lovely chatting to you, ladies. Please keep in touch. Izzy, keep us posted yeah. and um, you know where we are if there's anything that you need. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies, and good luck to you as well. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All Have right, a take care then. All the best. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.